Good morning, Bridge Community Church. Hope you guys are having a great day today. Thanks for joining us online. My name is Paul Kemper. I'm one of the pastors here. Encouraged to have you with us today. We are going to just pause for a moment here and invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark as we get ready to kick off our next week in our series here. Gospel of Mark, it is the second book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can put your finger in chapter 12 of Mark chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, if you're just joining us here for the first time or not familiar with the series, we have been spending many weeks going through the Gospel of Mark, one chapter a week, where we're looking at the character of Jesus. Now, everyone has an opinion of who Jesus is. Some of you have a good understanding. Some of us have a not so good understanding of who Jesus is, but we all have some type of experience with who Jesus is just because of the culture that we live in. I have had a good understanding of who Jesus is, but my understanding has grown over the years. You see, I grew up in the church, um, have been a Christian most of my life, baptized when I was 11 years old, uh, and my understanding of him has grown over the years. And here's what I've found. What I've found is the more that I have an understanding of him, really who he is, the more it influences my behavior. So when I see Jesus as this faraway individual that I don't know very well, or I don't understand his character or what he valued or how he views me, my desire to want to live for him or to follow him is not as strong. But as I've grown and as I get to know the personality and the character of Jesus, what he was passionate about and why he came to die for me, it influences how I want to live for him. Every week we're looking at a character trait of Jesus and we're showing us something. I'm showing you something and I'm looking at something that I believe can change the way that we live if we let it touch our hearts. This morning we're in chapter 11, beginning in verse 12, and you can read along with me. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. I have heard this passage and read this passage many times over the years. And most of the time when I've read this passage, it seems like it's a little extreme. Why would Jesus curse this fig tree? Sure, he was hungry. I understand that. And I know what it's like to be hungry. And I know what it's like to be upset sometimes when I'm hungry. Um, not only that, but he was, he was going after figs. I mean, I love figs, especially fig newtons. I don't know if you like fig newtons, but I grew up with those, and those are awesome. But if there was a huge pile or a box of fig newtons far away, and I was hungry, and I went to them, and they were empty, I know that I would be upset. But I don't think that has anything to do with the reason why Jesus really cursed the tree. Jesus cursed the fig tree not because he was hangry, or hungry, not because he just had a bad day. He wasn't trying to make a statement and be extreme. Jesus was actually using this as an opportunity to teach his disciples something. And we see this right out of the gate when it says in verse 14 that his disciples heard him say it. So the question is, what was he trying to teach the disciples? What was he trying to teach the disciples? And what can we learn from that as well? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And here's what I think we need to know. The reason why this happened and the reason why he did it for his disciples is something that we can understand today as well, and it's simply this. Jesus expects his followers to bear fruit. Jesus expects his followers to bear fruit. Now, I want to break that down a little bit for you and explain what I mean by that. This is all connected to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, that that Jesus is not expecting us to stay the same, 
But as we grow spiritually, we are supposed to be more and more like him. And let me explain what I mean here. You see, the fig tree in this passage actually refers to two different things. Traditionally, it looks like Israel. Fig trees were, were, um, were used many times, scriptural references towards the nation of Israel. But it can also refer to followers of Christ or Christians. So you have Israel and you have followers of Christ. There's also the evidence of the fruit that you see in this, that the fig tree did not bear fruit. Fruit in this situation refers to the evidence the evidence of what it means to have a relationship with God. So at the time, Jesus goes to this fig tree, and he looks at the fig tree, and the fig tree is not bearing any fruit, and he curses it. Why? Because he's looking at Israel, the nation of Israel, and he's saying Israel is not demonstrating an evidence that they actually are growing and knowing God. So there's that one element that we're looking at, and he was making that statement to the nation of Israel. If we look through the rest of the Gospels, we can see because they didn't accept him as the Messiah, because they rejected him and didn't make that decision, that there were consequences to that. As a result, the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ was given to the Gentiles, and the non-Jewish people heard the message, and their lives were changed and saved. But that's not really what we're focusing on today. Today, I want to focus specifically on the impact of the fruit tree or the fig tree and how it relates to us as followers of Christ. Because in the same way the fig tree applies to Israel, it applies to us as followers of Christ. We are created by God for a purpose. And that purpose is not just to know Jesus and be saved and go to heaven. Our purpose is to grow in relationship with God. Our purpose is to mature in relationship with God. Our purpose on this earth is to bear fruit. And the kind of fruit that he's talking about is the evidence of relationship with God. Now, sometimes we confuse fruit with what we do. When I talk about bearing fruit, we talk about things we can produce. When I'm bearing fruit, as long as I'm doing something and producing something, then I'm actually bearing fruit if I'm doing it. And that's not actually true. When you produce something, it doesn't always mean that you're bearing fruit. Fruit is not what we do. Fruit is what God does in us and through us. When Jesus is talking about bearing fruit in this passage, he's not just talking about what we can do. He's talking about what God can do in us and through us. And there's a big difference. God is passionate about this message for us today. And Jesus expects everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, meaning that we allow God to do things in us that he wants to come to pass. Because relationship is what matters to him. And the cool thing about that is that when God is the one that's working in us, He is the one that transforms us and makes us look more like him. You see, someone told me a long time ago that the people that you spend time with influences who you become. Athletes like to hang out with athletes. Musicians hang out with musicians. Techies, gamers, academics, whether you like the city life, you like the outdoors life, it doesn't really matter. Those that you spend time with and those that you allow to influence you eventually help produce something in you. It's no different with our relationship with God. When we spend time knowing God, our lives become evidence of it. And he transforms us. This morning, I want to look at three quick things and ask the question, each one of them, how can we be fruitful? How can we be fruitful? How can you and I be fruitful and not just go through the motions 
of Christianity, not just go through the motions of spiritual um, experience, but to actually have a relationship with God where we bear fruit, the kind of fruit that he is able to work through us for ourselves, to transform us, and to help transform those around us. Three things I want to mention this morning. First, how can we be fruitful? Number one, abide in him. We have to abide in him. And abide is just a fancy word for saying remain in him. Stay connected to him. There's a passage in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, where Jesus makes this connection and says, this is why and this is how you can bear fruit, spiritual fruit. He says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The first thing that he's saying there right out of the gate is, if you want to bear fruit, if you want the evidence of God's transforming power to be evident in you and outside of you to others, you must remain with me. You must build relationship with me, stay connected with me. And he uses this illustration of a vine and a branch where he is the vine, where the source of life comes from, and we're the branch and we stay connected to the vine. The word remain actually refers to union with God, where we are unified with God, making him the source. You might say the source of what? The source of everything. That God is the source of everything. That we can't take God and add him to our lives and live our lives and just use God when we can use him. He's not a, a vending machine that we, that we tap on when we want something. No, when God comes into our lives through salvation, when we first trust in him, he becomes the center of our lives. Years ago, one pastor said it's like taking the sign of our lives that says CEO of our lives and taking the sign off of us and then taking a new, a new sign and putting it on us and saying, Jesus is the CEO of my life. That's what it means to have Jesus reside and remain in us, that we stay connected to him and he no longer is just an outside piece of our lives, but he becomes the center of our lives. So it begins with salvation. We abide with him by beginning with salvation. But then after that, every step of the way, every day of our lives, we have to choose to spend time with God. We have to choose to spend time to remain with him. Why? Because when we stay connected to him, he is our source of life. I remember a lot, many years ago, maybe 18 or 20 years ago, my wife and I lived in our first house. And I came home from work one night, and there was a storm. And uh, our kids were really little. There was a storm. It was a bad lightning storm. And we were sitting at the table, and a lightning bolt hit the electrical pole right outside our house, right on the street. And it was pretty scary. It hit the pole. It blew all the power out in the house. And then it must have pushed like an electrical impulse through our house because my daughter had this little white um, teddy bear that played music when you would touch its paw. And it just started playing music out of nowhere. It really freaked us out. And we're like, what was that? And it just like this pulse went through and the music just started playing in the other room. I was like, spooky. So anyway, the power went out. It was dark. Everything went out. We had to light some candles. The rest of the night, there was no power. The rest of the evening, there was no power. I remember that night so well, and here's why. Because everything in our house, everything in our house that was connected to that power line was dead. Everything in our house that ran off of that power line couldn't work. There was a severing. There was a disconnection that was taking place, and it wouldn't work. Nothing would work. 
In fact, looking back, I remember something else too. The refrigerator didn't work. The freezer didn't work. But you know what did happen? The refrigerator and the freezer stopped holding their temperatures. They slowly started to warm up. And I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing today uh, for today. And I said, you know what? That's how it is when we abide with Christ. When we choose to no longer remain in Christ, it's like we get unplugged from the power source. And there are some things in my life that immediately lose life. Immediately. There are some things that will never turn on anymore. There are some things that I can't activate. Things are just gone right out of the gate. The switch is shut off, it's severed, and it's over. And there are some things just out of the gate that happens too. Then there are other things where you don't notice the difference right away. But there's a slow warming that happens. Or in this case, it would be a slow chilling that happens where you get further and further away from Christ. This happens all the time for people in their spiritual walk when they don't remain with Christ, they don't stay connected to Christ, they don't necessarily see it in every area right away. I don't necessarily see it in every area right away. But I can see it over time. Yes, some things die right away. Other things, it's just like a slow starvation because things are no longer getting power. Can I tell you this morning, it's really important for us to stay and abide with Christ for us to be fruitful. If we want Jesus to continue to bear fruit in our lives and to make fruit in our lives, that's evidence of relationship with him, we need to stay connected to him. The second thing I want to mention this morning is to submit yourself to the pruning process. How can we be fruitful? Submit to the pruning process. Continuing in John 15, if we look at verses one and two, Jesus said this, he said, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is a hard scripture sometimes for us to grasp and to accept, but there's a lot of truth in this. If God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, what he's saying here is the, the process to bear healthy fruit doesn't just mean you stay connected with him, but it means we have to submit ourselves to letting him prune areas in our lives, to letting him cut areas in our lives, trim areas in our lives that don't help us get healthier. And it's difficult sometimes for us to let him do that. The pruning process can just honestly can be painful sometimes. It's painful for things to get cut in our lives that maybe we struggled with, that we wanted to hold on to, but they had to be taken. But in addition to pain, the pruning process is also productive. You see, we live in a world, especially in this country, especially in our country in the United States, where adversity is not synonymous with spiritual growth and maturity. We live in the world where the American dream tells us that we have the pursuit, the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And and those are not bad things for us to do. Those aren't bad things for us to pursue, of course not. But let's not ever forget that in the physical world that we live in, tension and friction and adversity makes people stronger. I learn more through the difficult times than I learn in the easy times. I don't get stronger by going to the gym and watching everyone else work out. I get stronger by going to the gym and actually lifting the weight myself. 
I don't become a better runner by watching people run on TV. I become a better runner because I get out there and I push myself for mile one, mile two, mile three. If you're a runner, you know that that's the way that it works. If you go to the gym, you know that that's how it works. We don't get better at things by watching other people do it or just enjoy the good moments. We get better at them. We get stronger at them by allowing ourselves and submitting ourselves to the process of self-discipline, of letting ourselves be transformed and changed to be pruned in the ways that we need to be pruned. Adversity is real life, guys. Hardship is real life. Struggles can make us stronger. And if we let them, they also can draw us closer to God. Sometimes we can experience God more in times of pain than times of pleasure. Because there's this mindset that I've heard people say so many times, and maybe you've asked yourself this question as well. Why do bad things happen to followers of Jesus? Sometimes I hear people say, why do bad things happen to good people? But I'll make it real personal because I'm a follower of Christ. Lord, why do bad things happen to me? I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do bad things happen to followers of Jesus? Can I tell you that's not the right question to ask? I can't ask Jesus why bad things happen to me. I've got to ask myself, how do I respond when bad things happen? What can I learn in the midst of this? It doesn't mean that God's bringing every bad thing onto me, but how can I respond in the midst of difficult things? How can I continue to bear fruit by letting him prune the things in my life, cutting out the things that don't need to be there so that he makes room for things that do. What a great opportunity we have right now in our country. You think about where we are. I mean, there's so many negative things that are being talked about right now in our country. We're still stuck in our houses for the most part. You have to wear masks when you go places. And I'll be the first to tell you, every time I get in my car and I have to go to a store or do something, I look at the mask, I put it on, I'm saying it honestly, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful. I'm not saying we shouldn't wear a mask. I'm just saying this is not the way it's supposed to be. Look at the world around us. It's crazy right now. People were lining up on outside of supermarkets and are only allowed to go in with a certain number of people at a time. It's not the way any of us would choose for this to be. I'm sitting here having a message and I'm speaking a message to you. And you know what I really wish right now? What I really wish, I wish that I was talking to people and I could see their faces. I wish I could see your face. You can see mine, but I can't see your face. I can wave and say, hey, will you wave back to me? And I don't know if you're waving at me or not. This isn't the way that we want it to be. This isn't the way a lot of us want it to be. The unemployment rate's almost 16% now. This isn't the way that we want it to be, right? There's so many things that we could talk about in this time that sound negative. We could focus on the adversity. We could focus on the difficulty. But you know what else we could focus on? And this is really significant. We can look at the opportunities around us and we can say, how is God using this situation, this pandemic, to prune areas of my life? What is God going to do I'm not going down the road to say God's causing this, God's in this. That has nothing to do with what I'm saying right now, guys. What I'm saying is, how can God use this pandemic to prune areas in your life and in my life so that I can bear more fruit? 
so that I can have more fruit in my life. And once again, is fruit, spiritual fruit, the evidence that God is working in me and through me. Because here's what I know. I don't want to go back to the way things were. I don't want to go back to the way things were. You might say, what do you mean? You don't want to go have everyone back to work? Of course, I don't mean that. Well, what do you mean when you say that, Paul? What I mean is, since this has happened, people spend more time with their families. They don't have a choice (laughs) in some cases. People sit down and have meals at the dinner table where they never had it before. Going for a walk through our neighborhoods, people are more willing to have a conversation with someone that passes by. They take notice of other people. I kind of laugh about it because uh, my kids, uh, they take our dog for a walk a lot. And and I laugh. I feel like in a way that we're experiencing what life is like for a dog. (laughs) Because, you know, they're in our house all the time. Our dog's in in our house all the time. And when he goes for a walk, when he sees another dog, he's like, hey, you're one of me. Hi. And he sits there and he's barking and he's wagging his tail and he wants to come play with the dog. And we're like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I look at it and go, I kind of feel like that we're like that dog sometimes right now. We go for a walk around the block and someone's walking and they're like, hey, I see another person. Hi, let's have a conversation. So it doesn't feel much different to me sometimes. That's not a bad thing. That we spend more time looking at the the benefit of talking with people. You know what else I think is a great opportunity as God's been pruning during this time is to show us the benefit of real conversation and real relationship with people. Community has been broken down over our lives so that it doesn't look like or we think real community before can be replaced with what we've been doing now. Let me explain. Real community from the beginning is God dwelling with us. Real community from the beginning is relationship, one-on-one, individuals, face-to-face. We're walking with people. We're having meals with people. That's real community and real relationship. And then technology has come onto the scene over the years. And in the beginning, technology said, well, you can still have relationship with people. And you can email them. And that was amazing because you could communicate to people through email. And then they said, you know what? We can do one better than that. We're going to go into the world of cell phones. And now you can text people because email is okay, but it can take them a while to get back in touch with you. Now you're going to be able to text people. So now we have our phones and we can text people. You remember those days when we just would text people? And then they would take it to another level. And they said, you know what? You don't just have to text people. You can send them pictures of you. And our relationships went to texting with pictures. And then they said, you know what? You don't even have to do that. We're going to take it to the next level. Now you don't have to send pictures and text people. We're going to let you take video messages and send video messages to people. Wow, blows our mind. That's real community. That we can actually have video and you can go on apps now like Marco Polo and you can send video of yourself talking to other people and that almost feels like real community. Or we can video conference people. That's the next step where it's like they're right in your room. You know what's interesting about all of this? It comes full circle, guys. It's full circle. What is it trying to get to? That the whole purpose of genuine community is people being with people. And we have a great opportunity right now to be reminded of how significant just being with people really is. If you don't believe me, talk to someone who has someone who's sick right now 
in the hospital or in a nursing home. And they can't visit them because of the, the, the pandemic. And ask them whether or not they feel the gap and they feel the void. I believe they do. I'm sharing these things with you because I think God can use situations like this to prune us and trim us so that in the big picture, we can be reminded what really matters. We can be reminded that when things do fade, and this will fade, we will get through this. God is still in control. May we not go back to just the way things were, but may we allow the pruning to last so we can bear greater fruit. One other thing I want to mention, which is such a positive thing right now, such a positive thing that's God using during this time to prune us and to challenge us, is how the gospel message today, listen, think about this. The gospel message today is being promoted in ways unlike it's ever been promoted before. There are churches all over the world that are broadcasting the message of Jesus. People maybe that would never walk through the doors of a church are watching something simply because it's available in their homes just because of relationship with other people. Maybe you're one of those people this morning. Maybe you're watching this today and you're saying, I wouldn't normally go to your church or I wouldn't normally go to church, but I'll watch that today. And you know what? God's speaking to me about that. And that makes sense. Can I tell you, God can use a pandemic to prune things, to cause us to move in a direction where we can still be used for his kingdom and his glory. That's so awesome. It's awesome. And I just want to be really thankful for that to say, God, let me be someone who is willing to be pruned. Not for my sake, but for yours. The last area I want to mention today on how we can be fruitful. First, I said we abide with him. Then we submit to the pruning process. And the last piece is so important. The last piece is that we need to rest confidently in Jesus' faithfulness. We need to rest confidently in Jesus' faithfulness. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Guys, you know what that's saying? It's saying, God, even when we are unfaithful, Jesus himself is going to remain faithful because he is completely committed to you and completely committed to me. He gave it all on the cross so that you and I could have relationship with the Father. And even in, our hum, even in our humanness, and wow, how many times have I found myself over my life feeling like I struggle or I doubt? How many times do I say, God, I'm wrestling with this, and, and I'm not saying I don't believe, I'm just saying I'm hurting right now, and I'm wrestling with this, and I struggle with being faithful. I can always rest in the fact that God is always faithful, that he will walk through the difficult times with me, that he will challenge me, that he will prune me, and that he will help me get through it. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am certain that God, look, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes. You know what I love about that passage? I love this. The most important thing that I can take away from this whole thing is, yes, we have a responsibility in order to bear fruit, to abide in Jesus, to stay connected with him. 
We have a responsibility to submit to the pruning process and let him cut the things in our lives out that need to be cut out so that we can be focused and we can be reprioritized on what matters. But the thing that I love about this last part that he says in Philippians is that we are not the ones, we are not the ones that change us. Jesus is the one that changes us. You and I are not the ones that make the transformation happen, my friends. He is the one that changes us and transforms us. He is the one that takes us from where we were to where we're going to be. How many times I look over the years and I see where I was 20, 30 years ago and the person that I was. And I look at where I am today and I say, Lord, if I ever had to map the path out to bring me to where I am today, I never would have found my way. I never would have found my way. And if I had to lay it all out and try to figure it out, I would have certainly failed over and over again. But you know what's beautiful about this is that God doesn't call us to map it out. He doesn't call us to know the way. He calls us to know the one who knows the way. He doesn't call you to know the way. He calls you to know the one who knows the way. Jesus is the one who knows the way. Jesus is the one who knows how you've been made. Jesus is the one who's called you to walk closer to him so he can transform you and make you into everything that he's called you to be. We abide, we submit, and he transforms us. And because of that, I can be at peace today. You can be at peace today and walk in confidence, knowing that it's not about your ability to do anything. It's all about what Jesus has already done for you. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you today and I want to thank you for each person, Lord, that's listening today. God, I just pray that this word would just touch the hearts of everyone who's listening. God, I pray that they would hear that it is your desire. Jesus, it's your desire and that you expect everyone who chooses to follow you to bear good fruit. You want us to bear fruit, Lord. You want us to grow spiritually. And Lord, that it's not about what we do. It's about what you do through us. God, teach us to abide in you. Teach us on these days, Lord, where sometimes we just have so much time on our hands. Or maybe we're just tired of doing the same things over, Lord. Let the monotony of this world or the monotony of our days sometimes, Father, not take over but let us stay fresh by abiding in you and remaining in you every day. Be our source, be our food. God, would you fill us each day in times of quiet and prayer? Will you fill us with your word? Transform us, Lord, from the inside out. God, I pray, Lord, as you reveal things in our lives that we need to learn, that you would prune us, not because you want to see us in pain, but because you want to see us healthier. God, prune us, transform us. Let us see the health and the opportunity in this situation around us. Let us let go of the things that we've clinged to so well so that you can make something new in us. Let us look at the world around us right now and not desire to go back to the way things were, but to be excited to begin something new. And God, I just pray for rest and peace for each person. God, that they would stop, that they would not just trust in you, that they wouldn't just submit to your your plan, Lord, but they would rest in the fact that the one who begins the work in them will be faithful to complete it. 
In Jesus' name we pray.